The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. I'm Dan Roth, Editor-in-Chief of LinkedIn, and welcome to This Is Working, a show where we talk with people who are having an outsized impact on our professional world. This is our season finale, and before I go any further, I want to say thank you for tuning in and downloading and leaving your comments, and I would love to hear from you about what you liked and didn't like, what you want to see more of, and what you'd love to hear less of. You can always reach me on LinkedIn. I'm posting there constantly. So find me, leave a note, and I'll be sure to respond. Okay, on to the finale. For this episode, we are going to Ikea. Now, we're not going there to pick up furniture or to get lost. We're going there because that is where I talked with the company CEO, Jesper Broden. We talk about Ikea's past and Ikea's future. The company has had to change with pretty massive changes in what customers expect. For one thing, they're used to dealing with Amazon and getting their products right away. That doesn't happen with IKEA. And for another, they really want sustainability. There has been a huge push in moving away from goods that you can throw away. And a lot of people were seeing IKEA as a place where you buy furniture that in a few years you might dispose of. So how does IKEA handle it when customers start demanding different things? Jesper walked through what the company's doing, what they had done right, and how they're going to make it even better for the future. Jesper is a pretty down-to-earth guy. When he's not running the world's largest furniture store, he actually sings in a rock band called Horus. These are Swedish dudes doing covers of Metallica, Iron Maiden, ACDC. It was a really great conversation. So without further ado, here's Jesper Broden. Jesper, thank you so much for uh, having us here today. We are in an Ikea in the middle of Manhattan. Yes. Yes, this is a very... Most welcome. It's really nice. It is the first Ikea I've been in that I haven't had to drop breadcrumbs to try to find my way out. You're not out of here yet, so let's see. <laughs> That's true. We'll, test. we'll do a test at the end. You've talked about Ikea being in the middle of its biggest transformation ever. Right. Are these stores part of that? Definitely. It's, uh, it's one of the areas of transformation. So you can say we, we're actually uh, uh, today sharing our sales figure for last year where we uh, managed to perform. We're growing with about 5%. But the cool thing is that we are doing that at the same time as we are transforming. So in, in one way you can say... <clears throat> the two biggest transformations is about how do we get closer to our customers, which this is part of. And the other one is how do we become a completely sustainable uh, company and in that, so to say, uh, shift uh, business model. Mm-hmm. So these are the two big things happening right now. And the first one, when you say getting mm-hmm. closer to your customers, does that mean getting closer to them in terms of being able to deliver goods to them or have them come shop? Or are you talking about closer to be able to get feedback from them? What does that mean? I, actually, all of that uh, and spot on, actually. That's what, what it's all about. We are today, um, uh, we're coming from a history where obviously we've had our store concept, our flagship stores, which provides everything, a lot of competence, food, but also you can bring your stuff with you on the same day. And even in a digital age, that is uh, fairly radical. Mm -hmm. So that is still very important for us and for people. But it's taken us to a market share of around 10%, uh, if you look at global average. Now, the love of the brand and the uh, top of mind awareness is uh, much, much higher wherever we go. And what we found out is that the gap between that sits in convenience. So it's not not about the offer or the prices or the style, but it's actually about accessibility. 
So what we're doing is three things. We are providing um, a digital accessibility to our customers, um, where we then, uh, wherever you are, whenever you basically want it, you should be able to shop much, much easier. But also, even more important, you should be able to get our knowledge on storage, on uh, good sleeping, on living with kids uh, through digital. So that's one. And secondly, it's everything with logistics. How do you get the goods home to people? Right. Um, also in an affordable way. And the third thing is that we're like testing anything we can dream of in how we can physically meet people uh, in the city centers. And th this place here is one of the experiments, the test labs for that future. When you talk about this digitization push, this is something that is not new. We have seen for the last decade that Amazon increasingly shows that people oh. are, you might have heard of this small Seattle company, <laughs> uh, and mm. the more that people get used to this idea of convenience, mm. you get everything available, comes in two days. What has taken Ikea so long, or why are you just making this big mm. digital push mm. now? Yeah, I, I think partly, you know, sometimes your own success becomes a bit um, of a thing that slows you down, maybe. Um, but I think we've been doing really well uh, over many years. Uh, Ikea has uh, knock on wood, knock on shipboard actually, but uh, have, we have had um, uh, 76 consecutive years of growth, some slightly lower, but, but never had um, a major crisis in, in relation to uh, having to go through major closures or things like that. And sometimes that can maybe also be a bit of a sleeping pill. So I, I think we could probably have started a bit earlier but, but uh, uh, that doesn't matter uh, so much today. We're on it. We're um, doing two things digitally. We are behind the scene, basically reconstructing uh, our architecture, which goes back typically for a big company all the way back to the 70s. So that spaghetti is being untangled right. to sort of a lasagna uh, for the future. And then at the same time, we started to invest in custom applications, uh, ways of... Um, opening up our uh, uh, fulfillment uh, backbone digitally. And all of that is actually the biggest investment we're doing right now. What's the cultural change required to pull something like that off? How do you get people who mm -hmm. are used to thinking about big stores and putting them in potato fields and yeah. having these Ikeas and just moving these kind of uh, flat boxes to suddenly having them yeah. think about the digital experience? Yeah, it is a fascinating uh, change. And like in all changes, you go through stages, right? Uh, and that includes fear of the unknown. That comes all the way from the store floor, but also in the boardrooms. Now, the interesting thing, what we have been able to prove this year, because we're running a three-year uh, sprint here. We've done the first out of three years now when we said we're going to invest more than we ever done before. Uh, we will be confident and we remind ourselves, we're confident about our vision to create a better everyday life for the many people, about our business idea. Hopefully we can look at some products and I can illustrate what that uh, uniqueness is and our culture and values, these are the fundamentals. We are not at all uh, concerned about our uh, big stores, and we don't put that against the equation of the future. Uh, if you look at Paris, we, which is a good example, we have five stores around Paris. Um, in, in France, we have 10% market share. In Paris, we have 14, but in the city center, we only have four. Um, until we open uh, La Madeleine, a city shop in, smack in the middle, we are changing that equation. So we're actually attracting new customers. Um, um, and then I would say also, as much as we are now speeding up in the digital age, you will see us not only become uh, up to par with others in transactional standards digitally, but also we provide planning tools and where the offer, our products, uh, is the solution. 
and, the, and digital will be the way we, we tell that story. But here's the thing, um, data is worth a lot, we're learning that, mm -hmm. but a physical visit is amazing. It has an incredible va value. And um, we don't subscribe to the idea that uh, tomorrow there will not be physical meetings. But on the contrary, you have to make them better. And you need to invest in the human interaction, not for um, transactional aspects, but for example, home furnishing competence. So people love to come to places like this because most of us, before we sign up for a new kitchen, we want to look somebody in the sure. eyes and say, is this going to be good? So, yeah. One of the other big changes that you are making at IKEA that comes from, I believe, from customer feedback is addressing sustainability and mm -hmm. making sure that you are not just selling items but thinking about what the full life cycle is, what, the circular, what a circular life looks like for furniture. Can you walk through what that process has been like inside IKEA? When did you get yep. religion about this and what's been yeah. that? And how do you make sure that people pay attention to it if all they've had to care about in the past are sales? Very good. Now, it's, it's uh, out of all the transformation, this is the big one. So we have respect for the retail transformation and for us being capable of serving uh, many people within Wallace also tomorrow. But the sustainability uh, transformation that we are into and that the world needs to be into is by far the, the largest. So we have a bit of a benefit from the back. Uh, IKEA comes from a thrifty culture. Um, our founder traveled economy class and stayed in three-star hotels. So do I. And we do that uh, uh, not because we're in financial uh, uh, troubles, but because we side with our customers. So we built in that, which means that our, our, our horses are flat. Um, we have thought about materials in all equations of what we do. But that's not going to be good enough uh, for the future. So what we have done uh, the last decade or so is to, I think, speed up both our insights on the problems that we're all facing in the world. Um, and it's moved from being something that is nice to do to something that is fundamentally going to be a survival factor for us as a company. And here is, it's a very important thing to say. Our customers are more and more demanding from us that we take a lead. And if you look at the kids on the streets um, uh, of New York and all around the world, they are the future consumers. And they will deselect companies who don't provide a reliable, uh, impactful uh, transition. But then, on the other hand, which is the important thing, and that I think is very important to spread, um, is that as a company, unless maybe you work in luxury segment, if you're going to serve many customers tomorrow, you need to re-engineer your value chain to be able to afford. Um, people are not going to pay a premium for sustainability. That is, a, that is I think, a very snobbish uh, point of view. It goes for food, it goes for home furnishing, it goes for uh, mobility. Um, and even, I would say, there will be social issues in countries and in society if uh, things will come at a premium. So how do you actually do, think the opposite? And in our case, it is about using raw material, taking back raw material. It's about investing in renewable energy like we've done, where wind is today, um, uh, comes at a lower cost than coal, etc. So it's not about charity. It's not about premium. It is about the new business model that can allow you to be cost smart in, in the future. And how do you make, so that's fascinating. This yeah. is an exis, a potentially existential issue for yes, IKEA. And you can't charge more for it. 
How do you make sure that your employees that are, that are thinking about this, do you have separate groups that are in charge of sustainability? Do you make this everyone's job? Yeah. What's that process So basically, like? you can say we started um, like that, mm -hmm. that it was uh, specialists and so on. And we have amazing specialists. Almost anything you can mention in this field, we have somebody who has a deep knowledge. But we have recently uh, turned this into the responsibility of our uh, managed business leaders. So in, in, in IKEA, the retail managers in every country uh, are also the CSOs, the Corporate Sustainability Officers, since, since three months back. Mm -hmm. And that means that I am too, and they are now responsible for taking the sustainability agenda all the way. So this is someone who was, in, who was just thinking about footprints and real estate and leases, I would, have, I would assume, and sales, and now you're saying you were also the yes. Chief Sustainability Officer for your yes. country. What's the, how do you train someone to do that? Well, uh, first of all, I, I think it is about uh, connecting on the purpose. Mm -hmm. So I think we have done that. We have gathered all our leaders and we've had an amazing um, event together to understand the importance of this and also what, um, what is expected for me as a leader. And now we are more into uh, taking the first steps of um, exercising that, which also includes that we will be more vocal all of us um, be trained and be more, more vocal what we are doing and how this equation will, will look like. It is a challenge, I, I have to admit, how you communicate this because it can easily get technical and complicated. Right. Now what we say is that our commitment is actually fairly easy to understand. By 2030 already, which is outstanding if you compare to most companies, I, I dare to say, uh, we will be people and planet positive, which means in climate that we will actually uh, reduce more greenhouse gases than we emit. And then you might think, how is that even possible? Yeah. And I partly think that too. <laughs> but it, uh, below there is, uh, is um, a refined model of calculations and steps together with the organizations like Science Based Target, who provides us then with an arm length distance verification of the goals and verification of how we achieve them. So it's not us telling that we do it. Um, the plans uh, we have today will take us um, uh, a long way, but not all the way yet. So it also means that you have to have some faith that some of the answers you need to uh, uncover uh, on the way. But uh, we will, I mean, we last week we announced that we have invested 2.5 billion euro in renewable energy. So we one year ahead of schedule. We actually have more renewable energy than we consume in our operations of stores uh, and logistics uh, and, and shopping centers. Now we're moving to electric vehicles for home deliveries. That's going to be ready by 2025. It's done in Shanghai. New York is on its way within a year, meaning no more home deliveries uh, from fossil fuels. Um, yeah. And then we take you to uh, properties, heat pumps, etc. We take you to the factories of IKEA. And we'll also bring our solutions to our customers through better waste energy <clears throat> and uh, heating, cooling systems, including selling uh, solar panels which we actually started in seven markets and rolling out to, to a lot of places. What's and been, many more things. And what's been your education like through this? How, how are you getting smart about sustainability? What's your, are you reading things? Are you meeting with scientists? What, what's, you, your background is at IKEA, you were a purchasing manager in Pakistan, I believe, yeah, when you that started. that was my first job. Your first right, job. Yeah. So you've worked your way up in IKEA. What has been the process to suddenly become an expert at sustainability and become planet and people positive? Did I get that yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, okay. Good. You're almost on board now. It's good. <laughs> now, I, I think it's a, it's a good question. It's a lifelong uh, uh, education. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't label myself an expert. Mm -hmm. I would label myself an activist, if you like. But um, I'm starting to learn. 
Now, now my first uh, journey, I was part of in, in the mid-90s of an, uh, that time's crisis was relation to a growing company uh, accepting responsibility for production, basically. And there were two groups within the company. One would say that we are responsible for our company, not others. And the other side saying, listen, if we are involving suppliers and sub-suppliers, we have the same value-based responsibility wherever we go. And that led to, um, uh, since I was in Pakistan, that was not an obvious question. That led to that we developed a standard for um, uh, environmental and uh, social topics or things like working hours, uh, ergonomy, um, emissions, etc. And we developed a code, which is uh, today the most advanced code. So it's on top of whatever UN or local legislation we have, uh, we have topped it, what we think is important. It took 10 years to uh, get it in place. And the last piece I was part of also implementing was in China with working hours, for example. But we made it. So it tells me that you have to believe in doing the right thing. Sometimes you take a little bit of time. Uh, and the third thing, we came out stronger from a business perspective. Our uh, supply partners today, they have better retention with their people. They're more cost effective. They have lower quality issues. Uh, because we were part of that uh, transition of modernization, if you like. So I, that has taught me that as we now embrace these huge challenges that we stand before, we should have some faith that this is going to make us better and stronger tomorrow. Right, so the embracing the externalities, thinking about IKEA, not just what happens within the stores, but right. anyone that, that you come into contact with. That's exactly. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. Um, would you talk a little bit about the transformation? that you, you talk about this transformation of IKEA. What kind of transformation have you had to make for your workforce? How do you think about reskilling or do you mm -hmm. think about reskilling? What's that been like yeah. inside? I, I, would, I would say humbly that we are um, in the middle of that. Maybe we've always been in the, on that journey on one way. But today there is, of course, a lot of talk and a lot of fear about AI, um, the transformation of jobs. And of course, we see that happening today, uh, spurred by technology in almost every segment of uh, society. It used to be, you know, blue collar 
oriented and now it hits basically across every segment of work today. In our, in our world, we, most of us are employed in our stores. Uh, after that, I would say it's our distribution uh, roles. After that, you have customer support centers and so on. Um, and as much as we are convinced that there's going to be a lot of automation, and even if it sounds uh, tough, whatever can be done better, automized, will probably be so tomorrow. So therefore, uh, there will be some jobs probably tomorrow that will be redundant right. uh, in relation to things that can be automized. However, what we see is also this, at the same time, people are really uh, requesting um, the interaction with other humans when it comes to dialogue, competence in life at home, etc. So as even when we develop state-of-the-art planning tools, uh, people want to talk to somebody. So you want to play with it, you might get inspired, but most people still want to interact with somebody. So we will most likely upskill people more towards becoming experts within home furnishing. Um, I'm sure also since we are investing in and moving towards both digital and new fulfillment solutions, that both in digital and in logistics, there will be more advanced uh, jobs uh, in the future. And how this will, how fast this is going to go and how, how, um, how it's going to move, is, it's, it's quite difficult to um, overview. But we also want to not uh, contribute to too much fear and drama around it. Uh, we're a strong culture. We, as long as we're growing and as long as we're investing in our future, we hope that this will uh, be a good solution for, uh, for us as a company and community. Do you have programs in place right now or is that a step that's coming? Oh, we do, but I think we need to do more. Mm -hmm. And um, we have recently also organized ourselves uh, with a lead around what we call future of work. We will uh, reach out even more to our social partners and to, of course, our co-workers to discuss how can we do this even better tomorrow. So we need to step up our game here. I want to talk a little bit about your career. We talked, we discussed that you've been, uh, your entire working life has been inside IKEA. Is that correct? Or, almost. 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 Yeah, almost. Right. What were you doing before IKEA? <clears throat> so I, I would say my, my first uh, period was like many of us, like doing everything. Yeah. Uh, teacher, building cars at Volvo. Don't buy a Volvo from 1989. It might have been me. <laughs> Uh, sorry for that. Uh, I've been a dishwasher, I've been working in restaurants, and a lot of things. But then I, I started, I was at university and I, I actually worked parallel and I w was building up uh, supply for Best Western Hotels in uh, Sweden and in Scandinavia. So I was, I was young and quite un unexperienced, but nobody had done that before. So it was a super cool uh, first adventure and that led me into applying to IKEA's uh, supply chain. And so you, yeah. you started in 95 at Ikea. Yeah, that's correct. In Pakistan. That's and right. you've worked your way up through there. Is, are you, what kind of... When that's you, a fun story, actually. A, a true story. Yeah. So no offense, uh, because I love uh, Karachi and uh, Pakistan. Okay. But I was applying to the job, and there were six interviews, actually, including my wife was on one of the interviews before Ikea took the decision to take a 26-year-old inexperienced, no IKEA experience and put it in So you were competing against your wife for this job? No, no, no. She was part of um, the move, of course, so they <laughs> okay. wanted to interview her. Thank you for uh, asking that. I hope not. She would have got the job, you see. <laughs> now, in the end of the day, we moved. Actually, I wouldn't have moved without her because yeah. she's the tough one. And, and the culture, that was, um, everything was upside down for me. But it was lovely. And then after one year, I met my manager there who came and I asked him, why did you pick me? for the job uh, and, and he said uh, you were the only one who applied so um, sometimes you think you're brilliant and you're special 
But, uh, but uh, that's how it started. What did that experience working far from the home office teach you? How did that, did, did that enable you, uh, give you the skills that you needed to do your job today? Do you still rely on that at oh, all? Absolutely. Yeah. I think it was life-defining for me. It was, um, on one way, really scary, you know, like questioning myself uh, in every uh, moment of my leadership in the beginning. We had, uh, there were risks uh, in that environment. There were business aspects that were unique and different, but it was a lovely small team of people. And we had, we had an amazing three years and we built a business case that was absolutely fabulous. Uh, it was um, actually as led to a transition. So when I left, we were almost 30% of our textile business was moved to Pakistan. I think we started at 5% or something in less than three years. And so it was like in a small entrepreneurial super skilled team, great uh, producers, and then we tackled the social uh, topics mm-hmm. and the environmental topics. And that became, I think, the foundation for a business that is very solid today, where we have uh, still relations with most of the suppliers that I uh, was part of starting. Do you recommend, when you give career advice to people, do you mm-hmm. recommend they follow a similar path? You know what, I, I, th- I think we're, we're different, right? But I think when I, in particular when I meet young people, uh, I get the question also, how did I plan my career, which I never done. Uh, my advice is to try to enjoy what you do and don't worry too much about next step. If uh, when I do that, I become smart and uh, maybe in, in worst case manipulative. And that's so easy to see through uh, with everybody, young and old, right? So I learned the hard way to kind of ignore my ambitions for the future and focus on what I do now and try to do that well. And then I think for myself, I realized that the life is a bit of a pursuit of trying to figure out what you're good at. And then if you can find the nexus between that and what you love to do, then that's happiness, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're not there yet, keep on looking uh, in a way. And, and I think uh, in IKEA, I discovered a company that was growing and had lots of different disciplines and, and things to do. So it gave me an opportunity to explore myself, I guess. All right, that was Jesper Broden, the CEO of IKEA. If you liked what you heard, tell a friend about the show. It really helps us out. And I want to thank you for listening this season. It was one of the most pleasurable parts of my job to be able to sit down with people like Jesper, and I hope you enjoyed coming along for the ride. I also have to give a big shout out to my producer, Laura Sim, who's done a masterful job and taught me a lot about how to run a podcast. I'm Dan Roth. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.